going to jump in. We've been in Acts chapter 2. This is continuing our series, I'm In. And uh, we have these, all our campuses, there's signs that's the do- on the doors as you go out. And uh, we've been making a statement as a church that being in is not being in this room, but being in is being a part of what God's doing. That I'm not called to be a, a, a spectator or to watch the things that God's doing. I'm called to participate. You don't have to watch what the church is doing. You are the church. You don't have to watch what I'm doing. You are a minister. You carry the presence of God. And so we've been talking about this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, they, the church, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Anybody got this memorized yet? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this. When the church does its part, God does his part. When, when, when Christians do their part, God does his part. It says that the Lord added to their number daily. That people are getting saved because the Lord was working on their behalf. Their devotion, their commitment to being in produced a type of church that God began to work alongside and people are getting saved. I'm just going to let you know at Church 1132, at every single campus, our heart is not just to assemble a crowd or just to have a Sunday gathering. Our heart is to reach people that don't know Jesus. Our heart is to reach people who are far from Jesus and make it as easy as possible for them to encounter him and come to know him, get connected in community, and grow in that faith. I, I want you to know, to know this about me. This is this embarrassing, but I am I'm terrible with plants, yard, grass, trees, anything that grows. For some reason, I have a difficulty in gro- literally. I got a succulent because I heard that they don't need much care, and I was really committed to keep it alive. And I overwatered it, and it died. I didn't even know there was a thing overwater. And and I've had this problem with my yard for years, and um, you know, I look out there and I have a desire for it to look nice. I mean, I really do. My heart is good. It's it's pure. It's just like I want it to work, and it just doesn't work. Well, I'm from Washington. In Washington, you don't worry about grass growing. It just grows. You got rain about like nine months out of the year, and it just grows. You don't got to worry. All you got to do is cut it. Texas is different, you know. It's like you actually got to like tend to it, and there's different types of grasses, and and you got to water at certain times. There's water restrictions. It's too much. It's too much. I mean, it's like I, I've, got, I've got a full-time job. Like, I, how am I supposed to take care of that grass? And so, so I, I, my, my commitment uh, to the yard has been in heart but not in action. I'm just going to tell you, and it's shown. Uh, so finally this last year, I, I broke down. I got a little patch of turf, astroturf, in the backyard. It's the most beautiful piece of grass you ever saw. All I got to do is get the blower out there and just blow. I'm like, I, I can handle this. I can handle this. I, I'm going to tell you this. Your output or what you get out of your spirituality, out of your spiritual life, is directly proportionate to the commitment that you have to it. I can have a good heart all I want. 
But if I don't put in the work, if I'm not faithful to tend it, then I won't have what I want. I'm going to tell you this. We understand this in landscaping. We understand this in money managing. But we, for some reason, we don't understand this in church. We don't understand this in spirituality. Because it just seems like God should just like gift us with everything we need. And it should be easy. And we shouldn't have to work. And we shouldn't have to be committed. And if we come, you know, every once in a while, we pray every once in a while, it should be good enough. But for some reason, the church of Jesus Christ lays out a blueprint in, Acts, in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts chapter 2, of what the early church was, and it was characterized by commitment. You know, just this past week, and this is for our prosper people right here, uh, this, is, this is Wendy, this is specifically for you, Kobe Bryant just came out, and uh, he said that he felt like that they could have won 12 championships if Shaq would have worked harder. All right, so any basketball fans, it's like, man, that's like, Shaq didn't take that too well. I don't know if you saw that, but he, he, Kobe felt like he could have been the greatest of all time if he would have put the work in. Now, th now this is interesting because he, he was great, and he did win championships. What Kobe's saying is, I think he could have been even better. I think we could have even won more. Do you know what I see with a lot of Christians is they just try to slide back slide by with at least amount of effort as possible. As least amount of sacrifice, as, as the littlest amount of commitment as we can get, like just right on the edge. And what Kobe was saying to Shaq was, he just felt like there was more. He felt like there was more in him. And I'd just like to say this to you. When God looks at you, when he looks at her church, I feel like he would say, I'm proud of you. You've won some rings, you've won some championships, but there's more in you. If you put in the work, if you lean into what I'm doing, if you open your ear to what I'm saying, if you decide that you're in, if you decide to participate in what I'm doing and how I'm doing and how I'm moving on the earth, I've got something for you. I like to serve a God that has something left. I like to serve a God above and beyond. I like to serve a God that doesn't run out or is not bare minimum, but he exceeds my expectation. That's the God we serve. He's a God of more than enough. He's a God of beyond. He's a God of, of outside of my expectations. This type of church in the book of Acts was produced by an unrelenting commitment to the basics. It, it wasn't an unrelenting commitment to let's do miracles. It was an unrelenting commitment to the basics. With what we talked about last week of uncommon unity and uncommon generosity and uncommon power. Uncommon dedication. The commitment to the basics presented or produced a church in which God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved and the people in the church were being fulfilled and used by God to make a difference in the world. This is, this is the early church. Acts chapter 3, we talked about Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, we talked about last week, Peter and John. They're, they're walking, they see the crippled man. They say, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We talked about this. As one, sometimes you're the cripple and sometimes you're Peter and John. Sometimes you're going to need a hand up and sometimes you need to offer a hand up. But that's how the body works. Now, after Acts 3, Peter and John, they, they're probably feeling great. Because the crippled man got up and the Bible says, and this is where we wish the story would just end. He said he went walking and leaping and praising God. Roll credits. End of tape. No. It's not the end of the story. 
In Acts chapter 4, the Bible says Peter and John are arrested. How do you like that? Like, serve God with all your heart. Slap the sign on your way out. I'm in. And you do something great for God. And the next thing you know, Peter and John are arrested. They're in court. They're standing trial for the commotion they have caused. Can I just say this? It'd be really nice if the church caused a little bit of a commotion. Man, the, the quiet, docile church is just like it's had its time. I wonder if God wants to bring another wave of commotion, of disruption, that the church is actually heard from again, that there's actually a sound, there's actually some type of movement where people say, well, what is happening? What is happening? This is what happened. Peter and John are creating such a commotion, they get arrested. It's not my prayer for you that you get arrested, but it's the story, right? They get, they get arrested, and they're waiting to be tried, and they come before the Sanhedrin and the high priest, and they begin to question them. And I want to read you this, Acts chapter 4. This is where we're going to pick up this story. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, as they begin to talk to them, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there was one verse that I had to like pick out of like if I, if I could pick five verses that I could preach for the rest of time, I'm gonna tell you this one would be one of them. It says they were unschooled, ordinary. That means like us. I like that. Some of you are like, well, I'm educated. That's fine. You're also ordinary. Okay. Well, I'm extraordinary, and you don't have any education. Hey, they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and then listen to this, and they took note. That these men had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus lately? Does it show? Move on. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Oh, that's powerful right there. They don't want, they don't, they don't want nothing to do with the name. They're like, man, Peter and John, we can handle, but don't bring that name in here. It says this, it says they saw their courage. They were able to see their courage. That word courage, it means boldness. It means confidence, and it means security. They were secure in their God. They were more worried or more concerned with the opinion of God than they were the opinion of man. That's what that picture is. That picture of courage is God. It is more important for us to be obedient to you than it is to be obedient to these men. Is your boldness noticeable or only tweetable? I just want you to think about it for a second. I know we're bold. Got him. Clap back. Like, got him. Is it, is it noticeable or is it just tweetable? It says that they noticed their courage. There was a confidence, a true security in their God. And then it says this, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary. That is good news. That's good news because God is not searching for gifting. God is searching for availability. 
If you're available, God says, I can use you. God doesn't look at your past and say, ah, you're excluded. He looks at your willing heart and he says, I got you. That's what he said to a donkey in the Old Testament. He needed to speak through somebody and all there was was a donkey. The donkey started speaking. Can you, can you imagine that? Some of y'all are too religious when you read your Bible. You're like, mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Like, the donkey's talking. That's weird. Got to use anybody or anything if you're willing some of you have disqualified yourself from God doing something great in your life just because of something that you've done, some failure, some mistake. And I want you to know that when God looks at you, he does not see past. He does not see your failures. He does not see your mistakes. He sees the willing heart that says, God, if you can use anybody, would you use me? If you really can use anybody, can you use me? They weren't anything special. They were just willing. Next thing it says, it says they were astonished. I think this is interesting because you're not surprised by normal. You know that? When we talk about, like, we talk about God and the church, we're like, man, we want to be surprised. We want our minds blown. And then God does something, we're like, whoa, I don't know if that's God. <laughs> like, you're the one that said you wanted to be astonished. You know what astonished means? It doesn't mean like, eh, that's about right. No, they were astonished because something happened outside of the natural law. Outside of natural law means that it is supernatural. If it's not natural, it has to be supernatural. And we want these things and we desire these things, but when we see these things, we're like, because ah, we can't understand something that's outside of natural. Listen, if you want a God that fits in your box, then go ahead and be natural. If you want a God that you can understand, that's fine. But God ceases to be God the moment you understand him. The moment that God shrinks down to our understanding, he's not God anymore. If we can understand every element of God and who he is, he is not God. God means that he's beyond us. That he's outside of time and space. That he's outside of our cognitive ability. That's why the Bible says, his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. That's why the Bible says his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. They were astonished. When was the last time that the church left the world speechless? That's what I've been thinking about this week. When was the last time that the church left the world? I know the world leaves the church speechless. Oh, Oh, we're going to hell. Look at our country. Look at our government, my God. Hey, just so you know, just so you know, I'm just going to reassure you one, just one second. Just, it's going to help somebody. Don't get mad. Don't get on social media yet. Let me just help you, though. No matter who the president is, there's still a king on the throne. And last time I checked, his kingdom trumps our kingdom. A little play on words there. That was for free. He's, he, he, he didn't fall off his throne. He didn't like forget about us. He didn't like write us off as a lost cause. When was the last time that the church left the world speechless? When was there something happening that so shook the foundation of the world that they turned and took notice that these people, they must have something. They must have developed something. They must be a part of something's happening. They were astonished. And why were they astonished? They took note. They begin, they begin to reverse engineer the power. This is better than we do. 
We're just like, I don't know. I don't understand it. What's happening? That's just like, it's church. It's the worship. It's a, no, the world understands the power of God better than we do. They watched, and they said, let's reverse engineer this. The only thing that we can tell that's different from them and us, they've been with Jesus. That, let's look at it again, okay? So yeah, we were in the same places. We were under the same teaching. Actually, we're way more educated than these people. Better looking as well. That doesn't matter. And, 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 but they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. Not historically when he walked the face of the earth, but actually like that morning. And the other morning, the other, they, they, they were with. See, we don't need a church that knows more. We need a church that knows him more. There's a difference. There's a difference. Some of you went to church all your life, but you have no experiential knowledge of God. It is all knowledge. It is all, oh yeah, well, back in Habakkuk, that's great. But do you know the writer of Habakkuk? Or do you just use those scriptures and pull them out of somewhere so that you can get on something and tell everybody what you know? Or do you actually know the author? Because it's important. If you really want to use those words as a weapon, it's really important that you know the author of those words. Because if you don't know the author of those words, you won't know the love behind those words. And you can hurt somebody with words that you don't know the heart behind. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus lately? Well, I went to church on Labor Day weekend. No, no. Have you been with Jesus? Have you made time and space to be with him, to sit with him, to turn on some worship music and silence everything else and be with God? I don't know how to pray, Pastor. Turn on a worship album. Whatever they sing, turn it into a prayer. You can, spend, you can spend a half hour Jesus just like this, and you can grow in your relationship with God. How long is your commute? Y'all like that traffic around here? Turn on some worship music and be with Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this. Not only did they take note that they had been with Jesus, the reason that they took note is because they were doing something to take note of. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time in the prayer closet, but they don't apply anything that God's speaking to them. I'm going to tell you what maturity is. Maturity is not knowledge. I know a lot about everything. Maturity is applied knowledge. Maturity is when I can see and know something and I actually put it into practice. That's why there's a lot of smart people in the world that are not very mature or not very successful. Because maturity is the ability to take the knowledge, apply it to my life. And put it into practice. They took note that they'd been with Jesus because there was actually something to take note of. It says that no one could deny the miracle. Now this is awesome because the man was crippled and now he's walking. He's walking, leaping, praising God. Like he's just consistently. He hasn't stopped yet, I'm pretty sure. And uh, so he's in the courtroom and he's still like, yeah. Look at me, both legs working. And, and he's, he's getting his little workout. Peter and John are on trial, and, and they're, they're trying to deny the power of God. And it says in verse 17, they couldn't deny it because this guy's over here. Look at me, I'm the one that begged. I'm the one that took your money for years, and now I'm walking. Look at me, look at me. That's this guy. That's this guy. They're like, well, I don't know if it was God. It's like, no, hey, hey. See, this is my fear, is that we talk a big game, but when the world pushes back, we go, look, look. 
we're telling the truth. We are right. Why? Why? Where is the proof that God's moving in our lives? Are we just like a self-help club? Just motivating people, getting people fired up to face your week? That's important. But is there anything else besides natural motivation and passion and hype? Is there power? you got to be with Jesus to access power. You've got to make space to access power. You need to lean into God to access power. What does that look like? That means wherever my natural power has a disconnect, I lean into God for his supernatural power. That means when I get a diagnosis from a doctor before I freak out, before I go to WebMD and find out that I'm dying, I go to God. I go to him. He is my source. That's how miracles start happening. God uses doctors, God uses medicine, God uses counselors, God uses therapists. He uses all of them. All of them were given those skills and giftings by God. But they were always supposed to be used as a supplement or as a secondary to the power of the living God. Which means this, I go to God. And if God doesn't heal me outright, then God's going to use some people around me to heal me. But I'm going to be healed because my Bible says by his stripes, I was Past tense, healed. God's working on my behalf. And whether he heals me today or he heals me in 10 years, I believe I am healed. Not because I feel like I'm healed. Not because I've seen it yet. But because God's word says it's so. Maybe that would start causing a commotion. As if the world just, start, or if the church just started to believe what the word said. Where's the proof? I don't know, it's coming. Where's the proof? Instead of us saying, well, you know, sometimes God doesn't always heal. And brother, let me, let me help encourage you on God's failure. God doesn't need your help. Stop it. God doesn't need your defense or your apologetic background. The gospel can defend itself. All it needs is a church that says I'm in. All it needs is a church that says I don't see you yet but I believe it. I haven't seen the answer yet, but I ain't going in anywhere. You can't get me out of this. You can't get me out. I'm in on what God is doing. That faith, I'm telling you, that would shake a city. That would shake a city. It's interesting. As soon as they begin to move forward, as soon as God begins to move, there's opposition to what God's doing. I'm going to tell you this. Whenever you make a decision to be in, there will be opposing force trying to kick you out. Some of you have already experienced this. You ever made a big decision? Like some of you are like, I'm going to lead a group. And then it was like, the plumbing broke at the house. Your friends moved countries. And, and you're like, wait, where's, like what happened? It's called opposition. This, this, this is a supernatural battle that is taking place. And when you make a decision to stand on the front lines, there is pushback. This is what happened. There was pushback. I know it's not popular to talk about it, but I think you probably should know that when you decide I'm going to be in and you slap that sign, there is a devil in our world that says, I want to make sure you're out. So instead of make, thinking that you made the wrong decision, understand he's trying to brainwash you into thinking you made the wrong decision, and it should produce greater resolve instead of a pacifist spirit that says, okay, I'll go back and get in line. We need some rebellious, disruptive Christians that refuse to get in line, that refuse to be passive but are willing to make a difference. And that says, come hell or high water, I'm in, baby. I'm believing the word of God. And the word of God will not return void.
point. I've made up my mind. I've made a commitment. I'm not going anywhere. That's, that's the early church. That's the early church. That's what it was. When we're in on what God is doing, it will produce a certain type of church. And I want to tell you what that type of church is while we begin to wind down. I want to tell you what type of church that is. We will be, and this produces this, we will be a bold church. We'll be a bold church. Not afraid of the truth. Not backing down from the truth. We are confident and we are convinced. I'm going to tell you this. Too many people, they serve God out of compliance and not out of persuasion. I'm going to tell you this. You can't just do can't have a religious motion that says I'm just being trying to just be compliant. You got to be fully convinced or fully in. Fully in. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 it says the weak the wicked flee though no one pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Bold doesn't mean mean. Bold means confident. Bold means decided. Some of us think like courageous means like, yeah, take people up. Like, whoa, bro. To put the video games away. You're 42. You, I'm, I'm, it, bold can still be kind. It's a confident security that my mind is set. I am convinced. I'm all in on what God is doing. We will be a bold church. We will be an available church. And this is what this means is that we're ready and willing. That means not like, Pastor, you're available. No, we're available. God, whatever you want to do, however you want to, however you want to work in us. God, if you're calling me to be a group leader, I don't care what I want. If you're asking me to do it, I'm stepping in. God, if you're asking me to be generous, I don't care what I want. I'm, I'm stepping in. God, if you're asking me to encourage a brother, encourage a sister, give something away, disciple someone, I'm, I'm ready and available. You're asking me to pray for that person at Kroger. I'm available. Like, I know that's outside of Sunday, but I think that's what we were just talking about, that this is not the mission field. That's the mission field. That's why the sign goes that way. I'm in when I leave, not when I come in. We will be an available church. We will be, now this is, I got to explain this one to you. We will be a shocking church. It's out of our text. The church hasn't been shocked in a long time. There's been no astonishment. And I'm going to tell you this, when you become available you become shocking. Second, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, it says, As for you, the anointing you received from him, Jesus, remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing will teach you about all things. And as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Do you know what the anointing is? The anointing is God's super on our natural. So I do everything I can in my strength and what I can do, his anointing, his supernatural power works in me now to work. I'm going to tell you this. You might be a good businessman right now. Naturally. Think what you could do supernaturally. You might be a good mom right now. You might be a good dad right now. Think what you could do supernaturally. This is what people, this, 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 this is what Kobe was saying to Shaq. Is, this is what a lot of Christians say. Well, I've, I've won a lot. I've done pretty good. Is pretty good the litmus test now? Is a full church a litmus test now? A couple campuses? A couple thousand people? Is that the litmus? Last time I checked that the need is not here. The need is out there. 
So we don't have to count what's in here. We got to count what's out there. People say, well, I'm going to have a church of this side. I'm going to have a church of this side. I think we're going to have a church that keeps reaching until the need's gone. I'm not going to put a ceiling on what God wants to do. Well, is it 20,000? Is it 25,000? I'm not putting a lid on what God wants to do. All I know is there's millions that don't know, so we exist to reach those that don't know. And I'm not going to put a cap on what God wants to do. And when we're available, we become shocking. Shocking is this, exactly what we talked about in the text where people were astonished. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. This is my life verse. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that you and your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Ooh, that's been my prayer since I started preaching when I was 16 years old. God, and I didn't say, don't let me have wise and persuasive words. I just got to be honest. I said, God, don't let me just have wise and persuasive words but let there be a demonstration of your spirit's power so that men might not rest on human wisdom oh we need a man we need a pastor we need to live but on the power of God that's when the church becomes shocking when they recognize that the power of God that's in me is in you and us and, and we are the church we will be this is the last one we'll close with this I gotta explain this one as well because it sounds aggressive, but we will be an obsessed church. I, I, I thought about a, different, a lot of different words for this and I, I started saying like, we'll be a loving church. We'll be a pursuit-driven church. I, I'm gonna tell you this. It says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men were obsessed with the life and the ministry presence of Jesus. That's the church that we wanna have is a church that doesn't just like come in to clap their hands or sing a song with people that are obsessed. Can I just talk to parents for a second? This is the kind of kids that you want. Not kids that just mind, kids that just show up to church and go to youth. Kids are obsessed with a higher purpose than just making good grades and just find a boyfriend, a girlfriend and getting in a good car. Obsessed with the pursuit of God. That's why we worship radically, not because we like radical worship, although it's fun. Because we pursue him. We want him. We desire him. Radical love and radical worship, radical prayer and radical pursuit. We will be an obsessed church. People come in and be like, wow, you guys are, this is what they say all the time, you're passionate. Yeah, we're obsessed. Not with the music. Not with the stage. Our hearts are towards him. Does that make sense that we would be a church that comes in ready to receive from God? They told them, this is, this never works by the way, but they told Peter and John, hey, you guys got to be quiet. Here's the deal. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. Only, only, only rule. This is it. You can't speak any longer in that. They didn't even say it. You can't, I'm telling you, you don't even know the power of that name. They couldn't even say it. They said, you know that name you've been saying? You, you know, that name. You know it? Okay. You talk about, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Like that, yeah, that name. Don't talk any longer in that name. You can do whatever you want. And they say, oh, we're so sorry. Well, we can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. Not in here. 
but out there I cannot help but talk about what I have seen and what I've heard. I'm fully persuaded. I'm fully convinced of the goodness of our God and the love of our God. I'm all in. Now, this is the crazy thing. This is the last thing, and I'll close with this. This, this, is gonna, this is gonna speak to somebody all week. And I was praying about this. This is the thing I kept on coming back to. This is crazy. Usually, when you preach this passage, you don't use this verse. But this got me. We will be those type of churches, but this is for you as an individual. It says this in verse 21 and 22. It says, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Stop. Wait a second. He was crippled for 40 years? He didn't get his healing for 40 years? Oh, everybody's celebrating now. Where was everybody when he was 35 years in? Oh, everybody's leaping, dancing, praising God now. God's so good. God's amazing. He's our healer. Rah, rah, rah. Who was there year 38? You know what this told me? It told me two things. One is that it's never too late for a miracle. That's what, that's what I read that. It came in my mind crystal clear. Oh, that's good news, Dustin. It's never too late for a miracle. And this, God's always working behind the scenes. Oof, if you don't get anything, get this. It's never too late for a miracle. Some of you are like, well, I've been struggling for 22 years. Praise God, brother. It's coming. It's, I, I think maybe God sent me to tell you it's on its way. I maybe, maybe God sent me to tell you don't give up too soon. Don't back down. Don't step out of what God is doing. Decide that you're in because in due season, you will reap a harvest. And behind the scenes, God is working on your behalf. He knew that the Holy Spirit was coming in the upper room. He knew that Peter and John would be filled with boldness and courage. He knew that they would spill out of the upper room full of the Holy Ghost and power. And he knew that he would cross by that road and see that crippled man probably a man he'd seen over and over and over again but at this divine intersection of desperation Peter and John saw them they didn't have anything to give them that we would think was worthwhile silver and gold money education therapy counseling session he says but what we do have we give you in the name of Jesus rise and walk and the man got up and began to walk and jump I don't know who I'm talking to, but I believe maybe you're at one of our campuses, maybe you're here in this room. I believe there's somebody here that you've had a long problem. I'm not talking about today's the issue. I'm talking about something that's held on. I'm talking about a hurt that won't let go. I'm talking about a condition that just won't let up. I'm talking about things that you started to settle for. Like, yeah, this is just the way life's gonna be. I think this is just how it's gonna end up. This is just how, I can, oh, I can manage it pretty good. Pain management is not in God's vocabulary. Well, you don't understand, this is incurable. If you think it's incurable, it will be un- incurable. But we serve a God. I'm, I'm telling you, this is for somebody. 40-year problem. This is why they were so shocked, is because he had been afflicted for so long. So we know that guy. 
We know him. He sits there and begs. He's so annoying. Every time we come into church, he has a need. And we're just trying to worship. We're trying to focus on us. And he's out there begging right outside the church. It's annoying. Isn't that funny how the world annoys the church sometimes? And then finally, somebody is able to see him. The power of God touches him. And the entire city is astonished because that man had been suffering for 40 years. And people give up after 40 years. People write you off after 40 years. You've been a failure for the last 15 years. People write you off, but God doesn't. That's what we learned from the text is that it's never too late for a miracle. And God is always working behind the scenes. Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.